Welcome to Trending Health, where we provide you with valuable insights and perspectives on the evolving healthcare industry. Brought to you by Dynamic, Trending Health explores industry topics that are real, relevant, and worth discussing. I'm your host, Jen Burke. In this special bonus episode, we'll be sharing excerpts from a recent panel Dynamic conducted on the disparities in maternal health. Led by our own Talewa Otumba Nawazi in partnership with our Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Council. Welcome to the DEI Council's International Women's Day event on disparities in maternal health. We are so happy to have you gathered here with us today. Unfortunately, the experience of motherhood, that journey to motherhood, comes with its own unique risks and outcomes that are determined by the country you were born in, your socioeconomic status, your education, and even your race. So we'd love to first introduce Cassandra Margettis. Cassandra is a licensed social worker who holds a certificate in parent, infant, mental health and trauma from Adelphi's Institute of Parenting. She has spent the majority of her career working specifically with women and children in New York City. Most recently, she was the manager of mental health and strategic partnerships for the New York City Department of Health and Mental Hygiene's Nurse Family Partnership Program within the Bureau of Maternal, Infant, and Reproductive Health. She has also served as a member of the New York City Department of Health and Mental Hygiene's Maternal Mortality Review Committee and an intra and agency maternal depression work group. Cassandra, welcome, welcome, welcome. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here. I'm excited. Thank you. Kendra Mitchell is currently an MFA candidate at the Peter Stark Producing Program at USC. She has worked on scripted and daytime productions for studios such as NBC Universal, Warner Brothers, and ABC. Prior to entering the entertainment industry, she worked at the National Arts Advocacy Program, excuse me, nonprofit, American Americans for the Art, where she cultivated partnerships and advanced the organization's strategic partnerships. Kendra also serves as the associate producer on the short film, Maternity, which highlights the Black maternal mortality crisis in the US. Kendra, thank you so much for being here with us today. Thank you for having me, so glad to be here. Now to get things kicked off, I think we should just understand what are we dealing with when we say maternal health outcomes. Um, a recent report from the Commonwealth Fund revealed that the United States has the highest death rate for mothers when compared to 10 other developed countries. The maternal death rate of 17 deaths per 100,000 live births in 2018 is more than twice than, excuse me, it's more than twice the rate of other high-income countries. And if you want to look at that another way, the Netherlands, Norway, and New Zealand only have three or fewer maternal deaths per live birth. So what we're seeing is that it's pretty bad in the US to be a woman giving birth. Now the primary force driving the disparity that we see in the United States unfortunately happens to come from the disparities we see between women of color and white women. As of 2020, black women are three to four times more likely to die in childbirth than white women. Now I'm gonna kick this off to our, the first question to our panelists right now. And, Directing this to the both of you, what are some of the reasons we see a disparity between the maternal death rate within the US and that of de um, other developed countries? Yeah, um, I'll, I'll share, you know, kind of my thoughts on this. I think um, in the United States, there's been such a medicalization of birth and childbirth, you know, something that is so 
natural and common. Um, but the way for lots of reasons and systems and structures having to do with insurance and reimbursement, if you think about you know, women giving birth in the United States, um, they may or may not know their doctor beforehand. They may or may not see that same provider um, every time they're going to the doctor for their prenatal visits. Um, and so that rapport and relationship is just really different than I think other countries that have smaller practices. Just thinking of a group practice where there's six or seven providers, which is more and more the model nowadays, especially in bigger cities, you know, you may not even see the doctor that delivers you by the time you're in delivery and labor. Um, and so not having that rapport, having, you know, 15 or 20 minutes with a doctor every time you're going, not even that much. Sometimes, you know, there's a tech and there's a nurse and um, I think that contributes to it a lot versus these other countries that are using different models, you know, more midwifery. Uh, I think the U.S. has the lowest rates of using midwives, which is just a different, um, uses a different lens and a different model um, that really creates a different relationship with, with patients um, that you see before, you know, you see this person before and after you give birth, whereas your OBGYN provider after that six week checkup, you're not gonna see again um, until you know your next annual or something. So I think that's that's one piece of it. But there's, oh, there's a lot more, obviously. Thank you so much, Kendra. Do you have any anything you would like to add to that? Um, I think what was really interesting is uh, approaching this as a filmmaker, of course you start with a lot of research. Um, and so I was going through the 2014 Rep Reproductive Injustice Report and learned that there's actually a UN um, sort of mandate to address racism across all countries actually. So it's called the, it was the International Convention on the Elimination of All Forms of Racial Discrimination. And that was ratified in the 1960s. And in that there is an obligation for the US to ensure the right to healthcare free of all forms of racial discrimination. So clearly the, quite a while ago, uh, dis racial discrimination was identified as an issue um, to equitable healthcare. So I think that's also a huge um, contributor to what we're seeing happening in the US. I think you both raised two really important points. Um, I'll just give my little own, my background on this. My, I have family in the UK work for the NHS. And one of the big things that I know that there's a difference is that when a woman gives birth in the UK at times, typically a midwife or someone is coming to the home right after that baby is born. You're not leaving your house. And they're not just checking up on the mother. They also are, they are checking up on the child as well. And I think that when we talk about the, um, the differences in the way that women receive care, with comparing those two countries, you see that there's more of an emphasis in the overall health of the mother and not just that of the child. So thank you so much for sharing those initial points. Um, Cassandra, I'd actually like to direct the next question towards you. Um, why do we see the disparities um, in maternal mortality in, by race within the US? Again, I think um, we need to look at all the systems and structures that are, you know, impacted and, and rooted in racism, right? Um, the medical model, you know, 
is very much so. Um, you know, the father of gynecology who kind of perfected cesarean sections did so on, on women of color without anesthesia. Um, so I think a lot of it is, is you know, historical, clearly. In my work, what I've seen is that um, there's so much shame and judgment for a lot of, you know, black and brown women going to the doctor, going to their OBGYN, being asked how they're feeling, not being looked at face to face, not necessarily getting to choose their provider. Um, and then if they are, you know, wanting to be honest about something like, you know, depression or drug use, they're flagged differently than, than their white counterparts. You know, they're, they're kind of um, put on almost like a watch list, you know, that, you know, oh, this is going on, that we're going to keep an eye on this. Oh, you're, you know, drinking. I mean, we see this in New York City, you know, we worked really hard to, to have this changed and it happened just recently. We'll see if it's actually enacted, but the amount of women that were drug tested um, during delivery in New York City was disproportionately black and brown women. And um, we were, I worked with so many women that tested positive for marijuana use at birth, which became an automatic ACS or child welfare you know, situation immediately at birth for black and brown women predominantly on Medicaid. The drug testing, first of all, happened without their uh, permission. There was so much that, that just played into it, but it was almost, we saw that in hospital systems across New York City, this was almost something that was only done or only screened for you know, low-income women of color. And so there's a lot less um, motivation to be honest with your provider if you're afraid that you're gonna be punished for it, especially as, you know, as a woman of color, feeling that you're gonna be threatened, your child's gonna be taken away. Um, and there's so much more too about just how you know, black women are perceived and how they're received by white providers and you know, their experiences of pain or, um, you know, there, there's just so much racism that you see when, when someone goes into the emergency room, you know, being black or brown, you know, there's going to be kind of a different checklist that happens. Are they drug seeking? All these predisposed, you know, racist ideas before they're actually heard and listened to for what they're asking for. Um, and it's really unfortunate, but it's really, I mean, we see it, I, I've seen it so much in my work um, and it's, it's a huge issue. Um, <clears throat> thank you for sharing that. Um, you brought up something that I, I just wanted to make sure we're sharing this bit of information. The disparities that we see within women of color, um, it doesn't matter. It, it, yes, it, you could be from a lower socioeconomic status, but you can be very well educated. You can come from a high income background and you can still be treated the same exact way. I had a girlfriend who gave birth about two weeks ago, Harvard educated lawyer, husband, Harvard educated lawyer, um, gave birth and was disregarded after she gave birth when she started saying that, hey, I don't feel well. Her doctor kept saying, brushing her aside, oh, it's nothing, you just gave birth. It's, you have two kids at home, you're just tired. She finally ended up going to the doctor, barging into the emergency room saying, I don't feel well, I need someone to look at me. And her blood pressure was 200 over 90. 
this is my girlfriend's like just two weeks ago. And I think this is a common occurrence that occur that happens for many women of color within this country. So yes, it's definitely worse for people from a lower socioeconomic status. But what we find is that you will see this across your, your economic status. You think about Serena Williams and her experience. It's important that we keep that in mind as well. You have mentioned this, and Kendra has mentioned this um, previously in her in another um, explanation that there are there seems to be some historical ties to this. Um, you brought up the father of gynecology. I, I think it's really important for us to understand where does this come from. Why is there hesitancy in the African American community and all communities of color to interact with the with um, the healthcare system, and um, where does it come from? Why do we, how does, how does that fuel into some of the disparities that we see today? Kendra, I would love if you could just tell me a, some, a bit of the historical um, context to this. Yeah, I think um, Cassandra mentioned Marion Sims, the father of gynecology. I mean, I think there's, there's two aspects. I think there's people's hesitation to engage, but there's also the aspect that, um, certain practices and beliefs have been encoded in the practice of medicine. So if we look at Marianson's operating on black women without their consent, um, which could not be given because they were owned, they were his slaves, um, doing that in front of a group of people without anesthesia, uh, anesthesia it, that perpetuates the idea that black women don't feel pain the same way. We see all of these things kind of echo today in the way that black women are considered if they identify pain, it's underestimated how much pain they feel. Um, they can be considered being dramatic. Um, and there's so many things that happen without their consent. So, um, you know, following that, uh, I think a number of people read the book, The Immortal Life of Henrietta Lacks, that her cells were taken for research without her consent. And that there was, they had their whole life of their own that she didn't even know existed. Um, in the 1970s, um, black women were coerced into sterilization. Um, in 1984, there, they discovered that 13,000 women had been screened for a sickle cell anemia without their consent and hadn't received proper counseling for it. So we have all of these examples of just um, a system that perpetuates the idea that Black women don't have autonomy over their bodies, that they don't, they're not in tune with their bodies, that they're not able to, um, that what they feel is not truly what's happening. And so when these are encoded in the practice, it means that whether or not people realize they're participating in that system, if they're not actively countering it, they can be, um, they can be part of perpetuating it, even if they have other intentions, if that's not what they, that's not what they believe. Um, so it's just identifying how these different things have been encoded in the system and then coming up with solutions to actively uh, change the course. You brought up so many amazing points that I think it's really important to dig in on. Um, I, the story of, I, I think one, minority bodies have been abused at the benefit of um, modern modernization, modern um, healthcare for many, many years, as you, you, you've called out so many things. But I also wanted to just call out that there's some also some historical um, misconceptions that carry through till today. Um, there was a study done uh, with first year medical students. Um, I wanna say it may have been in like 20, 
in the early 2000s, and among first year medical students, 29% of people believe that black blood can um, coagulate more quickly than whites. 42% of second year medical students believe that black skin was thicker than black um, than white skin. 21% believe that blacks age more slowly than white people. And 14% 14 believe that black nerve endings were more, more sensitive than whites. But what we're seeing is that even in today's day and age, these misconceptions are rampant. It follows through. We, we're not getting rid of them. And then we start thinking about the representation within the medical force. And unfortunately, although we are making great strides in getting people of color into positions of, um, into healthcare positions, we are still lagging behind. It's not representative of what the population is. And I want to just make sure that we are highlighting that this is not just um, it's not just black women, it's it's everyone who goes in. When you go in and you don't see someone who looks like you and understands your background, you're likely to have a very different experience with the system. And it doesn't come from, you know, that negative experience is not coming from out of thin air. There's some, there's historical context to it. There's, mis, there's misinformation that's still being spread and being taught um, that we have to battle through as people who utilize the healthcare system. I just wanted to make one more point that I thought of while we were talking about this and as you were saying, you know, that it's, it's not just about the baby, it's about the mother and the medical piece, you know, doctors are doctors and they're very quick to kind of follow, you know, the, the way that they've learned and their teaching and, and the medical model. But just thinking about the historical trauma and the personal trauma that someone can carry when they're going into um, pregnancy and how, doctors, again, in this country tend to know their patients less. Um, so not having kind of, you know, a historical or psychosocial assessment of your client before you start working with them, which is part of the midwifery model, is going to impact 100% of the way that, you know, you relate to your client. Anything from, you know, a vaginal exam, if that person has sexual trauma history, um, for someone that wants, you know, is going to make a decision not to breastfeed again because of trauma history, knowing these things and having that insight beforehand is going to completely, you know, transform the relationship. Um, and that doesn't exist here as much. And then the other piece that I was just thinking about as you guys were talking is, of course, historically, you know, these terrible things have happened, they continue to happen. But the piece that just resonated with me too was that, you know, in the detention centers just now, you know, women were coerced into being sterilized. Um, just, just, you know, now it's probably happening. It was happening last year and it was discovered. So clearly, I mean, this is not anything anyone doesn't know, but this is, this is very much still going on. Some of these things that we hear about, you know, that Black women were sterilized, you know, without their knowledge, you know, years ago, this is, it, it's still happening, um, especially to folks that don't, you know, have power and voice, like, you know, the immigrants and detention centers. So, um, sorry, I got a little off track there, but. No, thank you. You, first, you're right. I don't even know. I can't, I'm, I'm, I'm going to quote something, but I can't quite remember the date it came out, but California just recently paid out some money from what I recall to prisoners who they sterilize. So it's that idea of that, um, if you don't have a voice, just because you're an immigrant, just because you're in a detention center, just because you're from a lower socioeconomic status, it does not mean that you don't have a voice and that you are not in control of your own body. 
So thank you so much for bringing up that point. I think it's really important for us to understand that so often we think of this in a historical context. No, it, it's still happening today. We're still abusing the bodies of women of color. I also wanted to just let everyone know one of the big things that has come out of Congress is the Mominous Bill, which was introduced in um, 2020 by several members of Congress, including Cory Booker, which is looking to address the Black maternal health um, crisis within this country um, by making critical investments into the social determinants of health, um, partnering with the community organizations to bring services like doulas and midwives to um, people, of, to communities that may not have access to, to it, um, really improving the prenatal workforce and improving um, data collection and quality measures for as it relates to um, health, to maternal health. Because I do want to let you know that the U.S. has actually not reported on maternal death rates consistently. They've re released the report in 2018, but I think the, the report that came out prior to that was about 10 years ago. So if we're consistently tracking data to understand what's going wrong, you can't actually fix the issue. And if every system, and if each hospital, each healthcare system is looking at this in a different way, the level field, the playing field is never leveled and you never actually know what is the best way to address the issue. Because once again, if black moms are dying because of this, Every mom is dying because of this. And because we all have women in our communities who we love, who are giving birth, we need to make sure that we are holding our, you know, state representatives, our government responsible for just even accurate data collection. Um, I want to I want to start opening up the panel on um, the, the panel to questions from some of our colleagues, but before I do, I really, really, really want to make sure that we don't leave here just telling everybody all of the bad news and like making people feel like they don't have any control over making things better. So I would love if both of you could possibly tell us what can we do to make this better. It's not about just, you know informing people. It's about that call to action that we all want people to take. Um, and are there any organizations that you, either you're working with that um, are working to address social health, um, excuse, excuse me, address these disparities that we may be able to get involved in as individuals? Um, well, I also just want to address some conversation happening in the chat. There's a wonderful book called Killing the Black Body. It's, uh, there's a 20th, unfortunately, a 20th anniversary edition that's sort of updated based on the work that um, Dorothy Roberts did years ago, but it's all about reproductive justice. Um, people were talking about, uh, unfortunately, uh, women in prisons being chained during their delivery. And yes, that is a thing that um, is still being addressed. Um, and that's talked about in the book also, what Cassandra was saying about um, drug testing and reporting that's also discussed in the book. So um, that if you just even want to just learn more, that's a great resource. Another great resource is a podcast called Natal. And this is about varying um, birth stories. And I think, you know, today we've really talked about Black maternal health. But um, in fact, there's a lot of different black birthing parents. Um, so this has been more of a cishet conversation, but there are certainly, there's trans, there are trans birthing parents. There are um, people who go through other experiences. So um, I also recommend that podcast if you're just looking for to, you know, 
learn about different people's experiences and what they've gone through on a more personal level. The um, killing the black body is a more uh, uh, policy level, but things you can do, um, there's a black maternal health caucus. So I was able to look up and see that my representative was on the caucus. Um, so if you know that's what if that's sort of how you want to advocate that's one route um i mentioned that we're partners with black mamas matter alliance they actually gave me a little something to read sorry i could not memorize it but um they are a national black women-led cross-sectorial multidisciplinary alliance they center uh black mamas to advocate drive research build power and shift culture for black maternal health rights and justice they envision a world where Black mamas have the rights, respect, and resources to thrive before, during, and after pregnancy. They recognize that maternal mortality and morbidity is a global concern and frame domestic maternal health policy and research within the global Black feminist context. Um, so they are uh, an advocacy organization. Um, so there's opportunities to either uh, participate. They have an upcoming series in April. Um, and other way, they have other ways to engage um, to move this issue forward. Thank you so much. Yeah, um, and just one more thing, I, I was reading the chat as well. Um, part of the work that I did is that we worked with um, pregnant women who were um, either incarcerated or recently released from jail. Um, and while there were hospitals that claimed that they didn't, you know, handcuff, there were definitely many experiences where our clients shared that it did happen. Um, and then in speaking to hospital staff and also the staff at the jail, um, they claimed that it was because the, the patient became, you know, violent or agitated, um, it's childbirth, so it's not like a Zen experience. You know, people get agitated and, and frustrated during childbirth. So again, I think that that um, is just obscene and horrible. Um, you don't get to choose who's in the room with you. Sometimes there's a police officer. I mean, just so many things that are, you know, disgusting in terms of, you know, the birth experience that are still happening today. Um, in terms of uh, what can be done, I want to speak to two things. I want to speak on a personal level. Um, the work that I did a lot with, with the women that I worked with was um, encouraging them to really speak about the racism in the room, um, so to talk about their concerns with their provider. And I realized too that, you know, it was me, a white woman, telling, you know, mostly women of color to have this conversation with their providers. And that that you know was is a very different experience for them than it is for me. So we talked a lot about that, um, but you know, encouraging them or helping them to find providers that you know were known to be good providers, were known to you know have good reputations, if possible, you know that were of color, um, but really trying to kind of talk about their concerns about you know there's there's gonna be race and racism in the room. Um, how's that gonna be in our relationship working together throughout my pregnancy? And then even more so like creating a, a birth plan or a care plan that acknowledges that race and racism will probably come up in the hospital, during birth, in the postpartum period. So just, you know, being able to have those candid conversations 
um, you know, hopefully the provider would be the one that would lead them and not the, the client or the patient. Um, but not all providers are doing that, you know, hopefully they will start to more and more. But I think on an individual level, that's one thing that can be done to hopefully, you know, make the birthing process um, a better, safer one. And then just like Kendra was saying, you know, in most cities and states, there are um, there are birthing centers, there are doulas, there are low cost or free doulas. In New York City, we have By My Side Doula. We have several other groups that um, worked with our clients free of charge. Um, there are um, also the, the Department of Health that I worked um, at for several years created kind of a birth rights um, guidebook that really was informed by doulas and sexual rights justice groups um, to really kind of help people know what their rights are in the hospital. You know, if you don't like something that's going on, what is my right as a client, regardless of insurance, regardless of race or gender, you know, identity, any of that. So just giving people the information that, no, you can say, I don't want this person in the room. No, I can say, I don't want this doctor, even though my insurance is whatever it is, you know, the way to make complaints, the way to, um, kind of advocate for your for your needs again as a person of color you know having the conversation of what that's going to look like and how that's going to be received right it's going to be very different if i make a complaint in a hospital or ask to speak to the nurse manager um whereas a black woman might be perceived as being difficult and you know uncooperative so a lot of the work we did was talking with our clients about that and the nuances and their rights and and when necessary advocating for them um but there are lots of resources i mean the home visiting programs that exist in most you know cities and states nurse family partnership that i worked for is a program that's amazing because it works with moms from pregnancy until the time their child is two so you do get that kind of relationship um, with someone consistently for almost three years that can kind of be with you and what's arguably the biggest transformation of your life, becoming a parent. Um, and there's other home visiting programs as well that offer, you know, similar resources and supports to mothers and families, not just babies. Um, so there, there are supports, you know, you can look at maternal infant reproductive health um, in most cities and states. And there are, you know, there are resources to support new parents and mothers. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Trending Health. For links to resources discussed in the episode, to subscribe to the Trending Health podcast, and to explore if Dynamic can help your company manage ongoing healthcare industry change, visit trendinghealth.com. Tune into the next episode, where we look forward to providing you with more insights on the healthcare industry.